You've tuned into The Dr. Lowe Show with naturopathic doctor, Dr. Lauren Noel, where you hear the best in natural medicine, nutrition, and mindset from the world's top doctors, authors, influencers, and Dr. Lowe herself. Trying just to pop a pill for a symptom? You've got the wrong exit. Seeking doable ways to live a happier, healthier life and have fun doing it? Welcome to The Dr. Lowe Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dr. Lauren Noel, your host, and thanks for joining me for another episode. This was a really fun show to record. It was very near and dear to my heart. It definitely comes close to home for me. Dementia is something that my grandma deals with, my grandfather, um, also on my mom's side, died from Alzheimer's, and I also have a lot of neurodegenerative stuff on my dad's side, actually more autoimmune. So family history-wise, this is something I definitely want to learn about for myself. And I'm not alone because it is the third leading cause of death in the U.S. That's what Alzheimer's is, is now the, the third leading cause. Pretty wild. So the reality is this is increasing significantly and the modern treatments are not working. So to find this type of work that is being done, that is working. It's very exciting to share it with you guys because I know that it is going to revolutionize and change healthcare, but this information needs to get out there. So I'm asking you guys to please share this episode, educate the people around you because we need to have this ripple effect. It's not going to happen from the top down. It's going to happen from the ground up. People are not happy with modern medicine and they are looking for solutions. This is a massive solution to a massive problem. So with that said, let's talk about Alzheimer's. So like I said, it's the third leading cause of death. And the way that it's addressed in our current medical model isn't right. So basically they think, okay, this is what's happening in your brain. I'm going to give you a drug for it. And it's going to be, you know, all good and dandy, but it doesn't get to the root of the problem. I know I'm a broken record on this episode. You truly have to get to the root cause to fix the problem. And it's not really addressed properly in modern medicine. So that's where functional medicine, naturopathic medicine, precision medicine, as you know, as my guest calls it, and um, actually coming from Dale Bredesen, who is one of the pioneers of this research. We're going to be talking about a lot of terms on this show, a lot of testing that can be done, imaging. It's going to get a little into the details. I don't want you to feel overwhelmed or confused by this. The labs that are run on, on the labs that we refer to on this, on this episode I'm happy to run for you. If you guys are interested in being patients, if this is something you want to look into, we can do this through my office, Shine Natural Medicine. So you can see us locally or over the phone. We can look into these things for you. I'd be happy to work with you. We also mentioned some clinics and facilities that you can check out. Please don't get overwhelmed. Um, I do want to share a case study with you that is from this research paper, um, from the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease in Parkinsonism. That's an actual word, Parkinsonism. <laughs> so this is a research or, or a case study that was done. Now this uh, research report was published by Dr. Dale Bredesen and a bunch of other uh, doctors who basically carried out this research. And it's titled Reversal of Cognitive Decline in 100 Patients. So they, they included three case reports of them basically applying 
these principles using this formula for these patients. And they shared about the amazing results that they found. So I'm going to share one of them with you. Which one do I want? Because these really, I felt like, captured the power of this. Okay, so this is a 73-year-old female physician, actually, presented with a history of memory decline and word-finding problems that had begun insidiously nearly 20 years before, but had accelerated over the past year, leading her significant other to describe her memory as, quote-unquote, disastrous. Anyone, can anyone relate with a disastrous memory? <laughs> she could not remember recent conversations, plays she had seen, or books that she had read. She would mix up the names of people and pets, and she had trouble navigating, and she would even have difficulty finding her way to her restaurant table after using the restroom. So she got some imaging done. Um, it, was a, it was a particular type of PET scan that revealed a decrease in glucose utilization in the um, anterior, superior, pre cuneus bilaterally. So it's part of the brain as well as part of the temporal lobe. MRI revealed that she had atrophy um, of the brain and she had decreased hippocampal volume. So the hippocampus is a part of the brain that governs memory. So her, she had a smaller hippocampus. It was actually 16th percentile for her age. She did cognitive testing and they placed her at the 9th percentile for her age. So very poor memory and function she was having. Um, they did a bunch of testing. They showed that her APOE gene, which we'll talk about, was a 3-3. Her fasting glucose was 90, which is normal. She had a normal A1C, normal fasting insulin. Actually, her insulin was a little low. Homocysteine was at 4, or 14, excuse me. And um, low vitamin D, low you know, B12. And she was treated with this approach that they referred to in this research paper. And over 12 months, so just a year, her cognitive assessment, she went from the 9th percentile to the 97th percentile. 9 to 97. <laughs> you heard it right. Her significant other noted that her memory went from disastrous to just plain lousy to then normal. 73 years old. She remains on the therapeutic program and she's sustained her improvement. And there's two other case studies in here. But beyond just case studies, there's a good amount of data of the 100 people that they... Um, you know, tracked and showing the improvements that they found. This is unheard of in modern medicine. So I really don't want this to be taken lightly. This is really considered a modern miracle. So anyways, I love this. Listen to the episode, share it with your friends. There is hope. Miracles happen every day in naturopathic medicine, functional medicine. It's just incredible. So we just need to make this information more mainstream. Okay. I'm off my soapbox. Let's jump into the show. Welcome back to the show. We have a topic that I'm super excited to talk about. I was just geeking out before recording and talking to our guest, and I'm so excited to share this information with you. We have a special guest on the show. We have Seth, it's Conger, correct? Conger, yes. Conger, awesome. So um, he is the Mio's Health, so okay, for Seth, the Mio's Health mission is very personal. He's seen cognitive decline and dementia, take some of his closest family members, friends, and even dealt with a decade-long bout with cognitive decline himself. Same here. We're going to chat about it. Every moment in his life has led him to a step closer to his mission of Mio's health, including entertaining and presenting in front of hundreds of thousands of people, helping shape and 
helping shape and grow one of the premier brain function improvement facilities in the world, and finally being published as a co-author in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease and Parkinson's as the only non-doctor, whoop, whoop, amazing, <laughs> for successfully reversing cognitive decline in 100 patient cases, led by Dr. Dale Bredesen. Seth is the visionary behind Mio's Health, a co-founder and has brought together a dream team of thought leaders, medical experts, implementers, and system designers to focus on one thing, is the desired health result of their clients and really incredible work they're doing for brain health and, and really just implementing amazing research that has been already discovered, but implementing it to make it actually doable. Because it's amazing when you know really cool stuff that helps people, but how can we actually implement it in reality? So <laughs> right. that's very important. Um, Seth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. So tell me we're a little having... bit of your, your cognitive decline story. Like you, you actually were noticing this was happening for you and this was what got you into what you do. I, I did. So I actually always wanted to be a medical doctor. Um, ever since six years old, my grandfather had some, some serious health issues. And I remember promising him on the ski mountain that I would become a medical doctor to help him with his medical issues. And uh, going down that skiing path, a few years later, I was racing at a very, very top level uh, up in the state of Maine, and I had my first concussion my senior year of high school. Uh, a few weeks later, I had another one, cartwheeling down the mountain, and then three more that next season in lacrosse. And five concussions in about a four-month period of time um, can do some damage, and so I ended up going down the traditional senior slide, which everybody pointed to, oh, you're just, you're graduating high school, you're getting lazy, not a problem. And by the time I got to college and opened my biology textbook, it would take me about six, six times to read one page to remember half of the information on it. Wow. And it was very difficult because I'd been a great student before that, very athletic. Um, I went to see a psychologist and was told I was homesick. I went to see a medical doctor and told all my test results fell within the normal range. And eventually I made it to the dean of students who told me pre-med was not in my future and I should probably switch to something easier. Wow. And at that point I kind of gave up on my dream. Mm. I ended up switching to business, had a great career with that. And that's what actually brought me around to functional medicine back in 2013. And I came back around as a consultant and through that consulting, found uh, a multimodal approach. So multiple different technologies, therapies, nutritional changes, supplements that over a period of time was able to get my brain function back on track again. Wow. And once I figured that out, I realized this is something that needs to be brought to the world because there was so many people who were just told, you know, this is what you have now. This is normal and you're just going to have to deal with it. Right. And I'm, I'm not okay with that. Yeah, totally. It's like you think, oh, I have this broken brain now. You right. know, I know, um, what was it? Dr. Hyman, right? He had that yeah. big broken brain summit. And, and this is, this is, inc this is very, very common that this is happening for people. I know I, I can say in my medical practice, I hear all the time. I mean, I, I ask every patient, How's brain function? Do you deal with any memory issues, any brain fog? And I swear the vast majority of the time, the time they'll say, I totally deal with brain fog. Like I walk into a room, forget why, like I'm, my memory is gone. I forget people's names as soon as they tell me, you know, I, I can't remember what I ate for, for breakfast. It's so common. 
Um, right. And normally you either just say, oh, it's nothing or, oh, my God, am I developing Alzheimer's disease? Exactly. Um, and, you know, the, the common perception is, well, there's nothing I can do about it. So I may as well just stuff it down, not tell anybody about it and deal with it. And drink coffee. And drink, and drink and more coffee. And take nootropics. And then when exactly. I'm so stressed and I'm going to, you know, smoke a little weed before bed. I mean, this is California. Right. Like it's very common. <laughs> and like, I would love to talk about that topic too regarding brain, but later. Um, right. So let's talk about some of the basic terms first. So yes. um, you sent over a research article that we will definitely talk about. And there's, there's Alzheimer's, there's MCI, which is mild cognitive impairment. Mm-hmm. And there's SCI, subjective cognitive impairment. So can you break down what those are for people? Absolutely. So Alzheimer's disease is the most prevalent form of dementia. And it covers about 70% of the cases. This means you are totally dependent on others for daily tasks. So you have a hard time reading directions and following instructions and remembering things. And this is what is the most terrifying thing for most of us. Now, before that, we have in what we call pre-Alzheimer's disease. Now, that's not a medical term. It's not something you can give as a diagnosis. But we find that it actually makes a whole lot more sense to consumers. Right? We have pre-diabetes. We know that's before diabetes. There's markers for that. We have pre-Alzheimer's. And pre-Alzheimer's covers things like MCI. That's mild cognitive impairment, which is actually now, as of the, the latest uh, DSM-5, that's now an outdated term itself. It's now mild neurocognitive disorder. So you can see where this gets really confusing. Yeah. Right? And so mild neurocognitive disorder means... You know there's problems. Your doctor knows there's problems. You can still drive, but you need a GPS to get around in your town. You can cook a meal, but you probably need a recipe if it's going to taste any good. And you've probably been given a diagnosis with the terms, come back in six months and we want to monitor you. And that's everything you get. And how early are you seeing that? So we see MCI uh, as early as age 50. Um, really 50 to 65, even 50 to 70, 75 years old, uh, there's a very large gap of that. And MCI can, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to turn into Alzheimer's or another form of dementia, but your risk level has skyrocketed at this point. Um, Subjective cognitive decline just means you know something's wrong, but the common tests, the pen and paper 20-minute test that your neurologist is going to give you, where you name animals and draw a clock is not sensitive enough to pick up that you have decline. Gotcha. But I can assure you there are underlying markers that are pointing towards that decline because we know now that Alzheimer's develops over a 20 to 30 year period of time before you ever see symptoms in the first place. Gotcha. And that's of course where, you know, people are diagnosed only when they see enough symptoms, which, could be too late. Yeah. So would you say that people who are saying that like, yeah, I can't remember anything and this is happening, that's happening, would that, would that classify as SCI, the subjective cognitive impairment? Yeah, usually. Gotcha. And, and we kind of put a big umbrella over that and we call that pre-Alzheimer's disease. And that represents, this is a shocking number, but it's 70 million Americans fall into that category. And that's really one of three things or a combination of them. So that's a genetic um, predisposition. It's a family history of the disease, or it's multiple different underlying conditions that can lead the brain towards that 
pathology down the road. Interesting. So you put genetic and family history in two separate categories. We do, actually, because hmm. it's, it's not always the same. And, and that is one thing that the conventional system does differentiate between right. family history and, and genetics. And is that because people are raised a certain way and that can lead to their decline? Are you saying like that with family history? There is a, uh, there's a huge environmental component to right. this disease, just like any chronic disease. Mm -hmm. um, Alzheimer's is, is not that much different. It's just a little bit more complex. It takes a little bit longer to come on, but there's a major environmental component to it. And you know, just the stress of knowing that a family member had Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, we know that stress is you know the one of the roots of so many of these chronic diseases that can start pushing you down a down a road you don't want to be going. Um, just from that alone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, by the way, guys, I did interview Dr. Datis Karazian way back in the day on um, a lot of brain you know, decline. So I'll put that in the show notes if you guys want to learn more about that. Cause that was also a really amazing show. I just remembered. Yes, he <laughs> <Just> is <kidding>. <laughs> incredible. Datis <laughs> is amazing. He I, is amazing. I, I love his. He's so smart. When he talks, I'm just like my, my, you know, jaw drops. And I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And, and we, we've taken a lot of his work, um, especially around neuroinflammation because that, that's kind of where it comes down to. Right. This is this inflammatory component that we're seeing that we can actually identify years before symptoms show up. And, love, and love those that. are kind of the early markers we're looking so, at. So, you know, I talk about with patients that inflammation is the common theme with the top mm -hmm. causes of, you know, decline and, and death in our country, right? I mean, yeah. cancer, stroke, diabetes, autoimmune, I mean, dementia, all of it has that common theme of inflammation. So can you talk about what, like, how does that affect the brain? Absolutely. So it, it's the, the same as many of the other diseases, but it, once inflammation gets in the brain and it's not supposed to be in the brain, we have this, this beautiful protective layer called the blood brain barrier. And I know that you talked to, to Dr. Tom O'Brien about this on your, on your podcast this, this past summer. The, this is supposed to keep bad things out of our brain, but when there's a breakdown there, and bad things such as toxins or um, you know different food particles, like all sorts of things, plastics, you name it, infections. Once these things get into the brain, the brain has an immune response, and that causes this inflammation. That inflammation, kind of the fire on the brain, just continues. When that happens faster than you can actually repair it or flush it out, that's when we start to see the de degeneration. And there are multiple markers. We don't have one specific, like identifiable marker, like an HbA1c for diabetes. We don't have that for the brain, but we're we're starting to get there. And we're starting to map out these different markers that can actually show us progression over time, without just looking at the most downstream element, which is the beta amyloid plaques which is currently how you, you know, really diagnose Alzheimer's disease, which is a buildup of these, of these plaques and tangles in the brain, which of course are actually a immune response and a protective mechanism from the brain trying to fight things that shouldn't be there in the first place. Mm -hmm. And you guys are looking at the amyloid precursor protein, right? That's different than, than the plaque you're talking about? It is, yes. Um, that, that's one of the markers that we look at. We actually, we take it to a totally different level 
and look at it about 1,000, 1,000 biomarkers, mm -hmm. uh, plus multiple different types of imaging because we, uh, the individuals that we work with are currently expressing symptoms, usually coming with a diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment. Um, they don't have a whole lot of time to, to waste to do you know, a small test here and a small test there and a few changes here and a few changes there. We need to really take the approach of uncovering every stone developing a personalized plan and then you know getting them better as quick as we possibly can. So we look at over a thousand different biomarkers, um, not just in the brain. I mean, we look at the gut, we look at uh, glucose metabolism, we look at toxin levels uh, inside and outside the brain, we look at infections, we look at their entire lifestyle. Yeah. And all of those we see as markers um, that are gonna show us what the drivers of this individual's decline may be and what could be driving it later, you know, forward down the line as well. Right. It's not just linear that you have this problem with your brain. It's caused by this. We're going to give you a drug to work on that thing like that. It's no. not like that at all. And that's how it's treated a lot of times in conventional medicine. Mm -hmm. But but it's a web, right? If you imagine the, the brain in the middle, you have this web all around it. And you talk about, your, you know, it's in this paper. It's um, looking at infections, right? So Borrelia, Babesia, which is, you know, Lyme, herpes Lyme. family. So there's, there's mm -hmm. infections. You mentioned there's the gut, right? So hyperpermeability, which is a fancy name for leaky gut. I mean, you yep. look at that, that's another part of the web. You mentioned the, the blood sugar. Um, yeah, the toxins toxin. from molds and heavy metals. And, you know, our stance is we're not trying to determine that, mold causes Alzheimer's. That is, right. that is not a statement that we're, we're even trying to attempt to make. And I think there, there's some confusion and, and, you know, conventional medicine or conventional scientific research can point the finger at, you know, a paper like the one that I was co-published on that Dr. Dale Bradison has done a decade worth of research or more to compile that. He's not trying to say that mold causes Alzheimer's disease. It's these are things that can drive brain degeneration. These are different things when stacked upon another or in combination with others can drive decline. And that makes the brain more susceptible to developing certain neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. And, you know, for us, we don't care about the label. We really don't. We want to get people better and feeling amazing again. And to do that, we need to identify the underlying causes that can't come with a diagnosis code, but are pointing the brain in the wrong direction. Yeah, totally. Um, back in the day, I did an episode on osteoporosis and my guest mm. talked about osteoporosis as diabetes of the bone. And I was like, yeah. wow, that's fascinating. And it truly is. <laughs> it's kind of similar with the brain. It's like diabetes of the brain. Diabetes of the brain. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and it's, it's a very complex organ, but it is an organ and it's part of our whole system and everything we put in our mouth affects it and the environment that we live in and the environment that we work in or the relationships we have, all of that impacts the brain. It just happens to be pretty resilient and you gotta you throw a lot at it to start pushing it in the wrong direction. Yeah. Unfortunately, we do that on a day-to-day -day basis as, as Americans, and we've created that environment to live in. Right. I love in this article, um, and I would love for everyone listening to read this. Can they just, how do they find this, this uh, research article? Um, we actually have it on our website, meoshealth.com. We have a science page uh -huh. that has that research article, uh, which is published by Dale Bradison, 
uh, it's 100, 100 cases that were done by many different medical practitioners. I think 15 different practices around the country came together to collaborate. And I believe he's putting together another one right now with over 200 cases or more. Yeah. That was the last that I heard, which is really exciting. Um, there's other research as well. So those are case studies based around you know, his protocols and his teachings. And there are, there are multiple other research papers that came before and now some that have come after that are also showing incredible promise. And some of those came with much more rigor. So there's a, there's a paper out of Weill Cornell University, Dr. Richard Isaacson at the Alzheimer's Prevention Center. And they did the, the very similar precision medicine and lifestyle approaches. And they showed brain function improvement in individuals with preclinical Alzheimer's disease and people with mild cognitive impairment. And it was a very rigorous study. Um, before that, an individual named Majid Fatoui in Washington, D.C., had a, a fairly simple multimodal program of Mediterranean diet and exercise and supplements and neurostimulation and actually showed hippocampal growth, um, wow. hippocampal volume growth. And so, so this for has people been who don't know around. that, just to jump in, hippocampus yeah. is part of your brain that's your memory, right? It is. So it's, when it's you lose free. memory, it gets smaller, and, and, and you want to have a nice, supple hippocampus. Yes, you do. Yes. And, and studies that have shown regrowth of volume of the hippocampus. Now, wow. volume's not everything. Um, you know, sometimes if it's bigger, it's better, but <laughs> it's also the connections. Right. And so we're also, you know, we look at the volume of the brain and we look at the electrical mapping of the brain to understand how different areas of the brain are connecting to one another. Mm-hmm. And if those connections are being disrupted by plaques or tangles or, you know, other things that shouldn't be in the brain. In the first place. Yeah. Awesome. So the research, the research is pretty clear and compelling. I mean, it's, it, it's not where we would really like it to be yet, but that's a big part of why we're doing what we're doing is collecting an incredible amount of research. Yeah. Um, so for, for you guys listening, go to Mio's Health. It's M-I-O-S health.com and you can get this. I, I really encourage you guys all, if you, if you want to understand this more to get this article, um, I was telling, I was telling my guests, I was like, highlighting the entire thing because it was so interesting um how much information is in here and and it's short i mean it's like it's a very quick read it took me like 15 minutes to read it so now i know some of these medical terms you guys might take a little (laughs) bit longer but read it out loud you'll get through it but it's very interesting it shows you like this is what they did and this is how it worked for these patients and it really breaks down just how you know modern medicine is so not doing a good job when it's right. to climb and, and it shows a different model and it's just, it's mind boggling how different it is. It is. It, and it takes, it takes a whole team to implement um, that type right. of model. It's very difficult to kind of do a do it yourself version of that. Yeah. And that's the, that's, that's the problem we are, we are trying to trying to solve out there where, you know, Dr. Bredesen and others are phenomenal educators. And if you are a practitioner, uh, I encourage you to, to look up their education, their courses yeah. to take, their CEUs, because that's the best there is out there. I mean, yeah. bar none. Implementing that in a medical practice is a, is a totally different scenario that involves many things that are outside of just medical education and expertise. Yeah. Can you tell us about the Swiss Mountain place? People don't know that, that, what that is. 
Sure. Yeah. The Swiss Mountain Clinic is a is a beautiful um, retreat center and detox clinic in the mountains of Switzerland. And uh, we share a mutual friend and colleague, Dr. Tom O'Brien, who's actually an advisor of our company. And he is the one who kind of brought this up to, to me and I believe you in the first place. And it's yeah. a place where he brings some clients. I know Dr. Jill Carnahan is also an advisor of our team. Um, she brings groups of clients there. And it's just a tremendous uh, place to go and shut yourself off from you know, digital detox, food detox, uh, environmental detox, and get back to centered and get back to nature um, mm. and really connect with your mind and your body and learn and learn who you are. It's just yeah. a, an incredible, an incredible center. I can't wait until the U.S. catches up <laughs> with Europe when it comes to just healing the body and self-care and just all of this. It's amazing because I would love something like that to be in the U.S. Is there anything like that in the U.S.? There's plans. <laughs> there, um, I, I know some practitioners who have thrown the idea around and um, there are some plans to create something like that in the U.S. I think that there needs to be, you know, a standalone model may not be the, the best for the U.S. I don't know if it would catch on that quickly but a model where you could have education and ongoing work with those clients after they leave, um, much more of a programmatic approach, yeah. I think would be amazing here in the US. And there's some, there's some great places for that. And so I, I know some people who are, who are actively working on that project right now. So I will keep you up to date. Yeah, when, please uh, do. And I'll keep you guys all up to date. <laughs> in the meantime, we can just fly off to Switzerland and yeah. uh, oh <laughs> take a three week break. I bet a lot of you guys listening would want to go to Switzerland with me. Wouldn't you like to oh, send, yeah. me, send me a DM over on Instagram? If this is something you want to do, maybe get some people together and we could go to Switzerland and do this. Cause I, I want to, I want to do this too. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Let's talk a little bit. Um, let's talk about some of the, the imaging and the testing that can be done to look into sure. my brain going down this road. Yes. So currently, if you go to your primary care provider and you say, hey, I, you know, I'm having some brain function issues, my memory is poor, uh, decision making's off, I'm having thinking problems, behavior issues, uh, if they feel like they need to test you, what they're going to do is give you a, a pen and paper test. It takes about 20 minutes. Um, you name some animals, you draw a clock, you remember the day of the week and the month, and they give you a score. And that score, uh, along with a, a series of symptoms, can actually get you a diagnosis from that, you know, you'd fall within the subjective uh, cognitive impairment or the mild cognitive impairment or even potentially a form of dementia, at which point they would do some further testing to label you with what form of dementia that you have. Mm -hmm. And primary care providers do that regularly because that's pretty much what neurologists do as far as testing. Mm -hmm. That and about four blood tests, um, which is just crazy which is what which, which blood test do they do like um so, yeah so they look at your thyroid uh they don't even look at blood sugar actually um they, they look at your thyroid they look at your b12 they do a um old-fashioned syphilis test mm -hmm. and they do a uh, a cbc and a cmp so five blood tests yeah and with that and the pen and paper tests and a series of questions they can give you the the most harsh words you could ever get you know from a medical provider, which is get your affairs in order. Right. And that's, that's just sad because none of that 
tells you really how your brain is functioning, but it definitely doesn't answer the question why. Yeah. We like to answer the question why. Now, imaging, depending on what imaging you're looking at, may be able to jump into that border of why, but really it's still just telling you how. So an MRI, we, we look at an MRI with volumetrics, meaning it actually shows the volume of different areas of the brain. Um, that can kind of tell you where things are going awry. That is still very much structural and it can tell you the how, but not the why. Now, more of electrical mapping, that would be a, a brain map or a QEEG, quantitative electroencephalogram, huge word. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I won't, I won't use too many of those. Okay, um, you're at your quota. You're at your quota. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, that can actually show you functionally how your brain is working over time. So it can show you if there's low power in your frontal lobes where the CEO of your brain lives, making every decision and running all of the patterns through. Um, We can see if there's low power or high power in in the back of your brain, which could lead us to believe that there may be some sleep issues or an issue with you actually regenerating your brain um, or repairing your brain during the night. And those two different types of imaging are best used if you can pair them together. And they're even better used if you can pair those together with looking at the blood-brain barrier and the makeup of that or the gut microbiome or many other below-the-neck uh, biomarkers to see why the brain is actually functioning the way it is. Mm-hmm. But so, the so, easiest- like a, so like a QEEG and like mm-hmm. a MRI, those two together show a lot of really helpful information? It shows saying? us a much better picture. Yeah. And is it like and a if, functional MRI or an MRI? No, just, okay. just an MRI, a structural MRI, okay. um, either with a neuroquant or a neuroreader. Mm-hmm. Those are different add-ons um, that you can add on to your MRI. So it would be if you just went to your doctor and said, give me an MRI of, of my brain, it would come back with no volume measurements whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, if you did it and asked for a neuroquant or a neuroreader, they may look at you sideways and wonder why you would ever want that, but your functional medicine, complementary medicine, natural medicine doctor um, may be able to order that for you mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and get that. And that can give you a little bit better picture, but, but still you need to identify you know, really how your brain is functioning, and that can be done through computerized testing. Mm-hmm. So um, neurocognitive testing used to be a four to eight hour period of time using these long form neuropsychological batteries. And you know, they, they did Stroop testing and different colors and memorizing words and all of this. And that is still very important if you're at that stage. If you're just wondering what a snapshot of your brain function looks like, then you can do that in about 30 minutes online uh, with a brain function test. And this will test your memory, your attention, your decision-making, your speed of your brain, um, your reaction time, things that are really important because, you know, memory may be that symptom that we all associate with cognitive decline and Alzheimer's disease, but that's way downstream. I mean, we're, we're talking like one of the last symptoms to pop up is that. Mm-hmm. Way before that, we want to see if you're making appropriate decisions or what your reaction time looks like and mm-hmm. all the, you know, your processing speed or the speed of your brain. Those are important early indicators and it's not that hard to do that. I mean, we do, we do that testing for every single person 
before they ever come through our process just to get a snapshot of their brain. Mm -hmm. And if they decide not to come through our process, we test them at six months and a year out just to see if they're improving or declining or staying the same. Um, but that is, I mean, that's the test that I originally found way back in 2013 mm -hmm. that showed me my brain was not functioning the way I wanted it to. Mm -hmm. How can people take that? Dealing with it. Um, we work with a company called Brain Fishington and they, you know, anybody can go on there and. Sorry, Seth, the, the audio just cut out for, for a second. What, oh. what was that? <laughs> what was that again? It's, yeah, Brain Function Testing okay. is a company that we work with. Um, and so we, we facilitate those tests for our clients. But if cool. anybody was interested in just going there directly, mm -hmm. uh, you can purchase a, you know, a year-long membership for, God, I think it's under $50. Mm -hmm. to, cool. You know, take it as many times as you want and awesome. um, get a snapshot of your brain function, which is really, really important. It's like, it's like taking your weight or... Right. Getting a physical, you know, exactly. what, you, what you can measure, you can manage. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's so good. Yeah. Um, when we talk about functional medicine, that's truly like looking at the function of your brain. Like how is it, it functioning? Is. Like, yeah, you might have more or less blood flow to certain areas. Maybe your hippocampus is big or little, but like, how is it actually functioning? So, yeah. So a deck, you know, a decade after my head injuries, I thought I was fine. I, I was functioning normally. I was doing great in business. Everything was wonderful. And I knew there was a little bit going on, but I didn't know really what it was. And I took that brain function test and my processing speed, like the actual speed of my brain came out in the 23rd percentile for my age group. Wow. And I had no idea because that's what I was living with. I mean, your brain has this like two week memory of function where wherever you're functioning, that's your normal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that's kind of why people with Alzheimer's disease seem so happy and they don't really know what's going on and they don't know that they have a disease process, mm -hmm. right? Because their brain is just living in the moment. Right. So you have to have objective testing to show you where, where that is. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can test later. I did, you know, a, tons of interventions and, you know, eventually a year and a half later, I ended up getting my processing speed back where it should have been. Amazing. So, what yeah. percentile are you in now? <laughs> uh, I, my processing speed percentile is in the 99th percentile. Ooh. I know. Isn't that exciting? I'm, it, I'm almost embarrassed it, about saying that. Oh, well, well, how did you get it higher? Was it just doing what's on the brainfunctiontesting.com? Or did you do, like, what did you do, uh, Seth? No. So they don't, they don't provide interventions. It's just kind of a snapshot. Um, gotcha. What I did was I started with neurofeedback. And that was a way to speed up my brain. Um, neurofeedback allowed me to start making better decisions. As I started making better decisions, I started changing around my diet um, and understanding what nutrition was doing and how big of an impact that was having on my brain function. I started uh, managing my sleep. I thought I was sleeping fine. Turns out I was, I was in bed for long enough. Didn't mean I was sleeping mm -hmm. um, or getting into deep restorative sleep or in REM sleep and repairing my emotional. And so I started working on can I sleep hygiene routine and everything. Mm -hmm. um, then I ended up starting to take some supplements. And again, this is all over a you know, multiple year period of time, just trying right. things out on my own. 
um, working with different doctors, weren't communicating with each other, had different opinions. You know, everybody had their theory of what nutritional diet was going to be the best for right. me. Ooh, um, we'll get into and, that. Yeah. Yeah. What supplements I should be taking and how many I should be taking. And at one point I had a garbage bag full and then I was down to taking two and then back up and it was a process. Yeah. Um, but with, with that lower brain function, I couldn't make any of that happen. It was just so frustrating. I yeah. gave up on it. And I, so the trigger for me, and, and usually there's you know one or two things that can get people over that edge and they can start making better decisions and going forward with that. For me, that happened to be neurofeedback. Okay. For others, it's changing their diet. Um, for other right. people, it's, it's a certain supplement that can help them. Um, others, it's hormone, you know, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. It just depends on who you are, where you are in your journey, and what those underlying conditions are. Right. Um, now, the way we work with clients is we don't, we don't guess. We don't guess what, what's going to be that thing, and we don't take a year and a half to figure it out um, and tell them, you know, go get these supplements, do this, do that. We, we wrap around them with every single thing that they need mm-hmm. to get to the results that they desire. Yeah. So they do a, a few things at once. They're not just like do this first and then oh, do yeah. the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, you know, what I came out of, of six years of working in functional medicine working with multiple different practitioners just for my own health and um, in business consulting and, and everything, and then working with thousands of clients was that we still, you know, in conventional medicine, no one ever asks you what your goals are. That is not a question that is on the list when you come in for your physical or when you come in for your chronic disease right. checkup. It's that that's never asked. And I understand why, because it tell it takes more than seven minutes to discuss what your goals are. Yeah. So if you have a choice between discussing your reactions between multiple medications that could be life-threatening or your goals for life, I understand why doctors don't pick the latter. But in functional medicine, where you're not spending 60 minutes in the waiting room, you're spending 60 minutes with your doctor or your practitioner, that should be the first question. What is your goal? And when do you want to achieve that? And I found that that's that's not being asked very often. And I don't know if it's, I, I, I haven't found the reason why, Mm-hmm. But that's the first question we ask, and that is our sole work that we do is driving to that result that that yeah. client wants. Because right. we found that people aren't really, at the end of the day, that interested in paying for time and stuff. They want to pay for results. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's the approach that we take. Can I ask you... Um, were there certain supplements you're like, that really helped me or like, that's something I'm going to stick with. Cause that made a difference. I'm just curious. So for me, I had, um, so amino acids were really helpful because I was literally bottomed out on the first four, four on my Krebs cycle. So mm. that wasn't helping me produce a whole lot of energy. Um, but prior to that, I had taken tons of energy supplements thinking, Oh, well this will boost my energy or, this will boost my mitochondrial function, which is the battery in my cell, which will then boost my energy. And I had never kind of gotten down to that point of what's actually not working in the cycle. 
so for as far as impact that I could see, mm-hmm. um, essential amino acids were the, were the best thing for me. Mm-hmm. Now I've taken all sorts of different supplements over time and, and um, I'm not a doctor. None of this is medical advice. Uh, yes. I don't play one on TV. <laughs> um, please check with your practitioner before wearing this. Um, but I, I, I do have a fairly standard regimen of those long-term supplements uh-huh. that have been very well researched um, for brain health and total body health and things that will lower inflammation mm-hmm. um, and protect you over time. And uh, awesome. I'm sure you've talked about a whole lot of those supplements. Sure. Like anti-inflammatory, like maybe turmeric or tumor, do you use yeah. phosphatidylserine? Um, I have in the past, um, you know, just, just general really high quality mm-hmm. supplements. I found that um, different supplement providers are, are better at certain types of supplements than others. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's some amazing companies out there now that, that make it really easy to, to order supplements and find who's, who's the best at what. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like to, you know, I like to go with my lifestyle first. Yes. And then use supplements to supplement my totally. life. I think that's where they came up with the word. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so, you know, supplements, people, it can be this crazy, crazy um, dark hole of, yeah. of just chasing supplements. And we totally. used to have people show up with garbage bags yeah. and, you know, dump them out on the table and say, which ones should I take? And which ones shouldn't I take? And, uh, you know, our first question, our, our practitioner's first question was always, how do you know that you're absorbing these? Exactly. Have, have you done any tests to know if these are actually the right things to be supplementing with? Right. Have you looked at your nutrition to see how much you know of the micronutrients you're getting that you're taking over here? Um, and we always vowed for let's do a little bit of testing to potentially save you a lot of money on supplements down the line. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so much. Um, let's talk about APOE because it's very confusing. I'm confused by it and I'm a freaking doctor. So how's everyone else feeling about it? So, so can you tell us what APOE is and, um, how much of a role does this play and like, how can we manage it? Yeah. Yeah. So APOE is a a set of genes. So you have, um, there, there's three different combinations. Well, there's multiple different combinations, but there's three different forms you can have. So you can have an APOE2, an APOE3, or an APOE4. And you have two uh, or a pair of each, right? One comes from your mom, one comes from your dad. And for specifically with uh, normal, I I hate even saying that, but we'll we'll just say Alzheimer's disease. So not early onset. So there's, there's early Alzheimer's, which means you're at a young age developing Alzheimer's. And then there's early onset Alzheimer's, which is a totally different thing, very different form of genetics and a very different ball game um, that you're working with. And that, that's like one to 2% of the overall population, the Alzheimer's population, not the general population. Mm. And um, people start seeing very serious symptoms at age you know, 45 to 50, and they, they progress downhill pretty rapidly. So it's, it's a different type of disease. Mm-hmm. But for, for Alzheimer's disease, um, APOE33, would be a normal risk as far as that one genetic component uh, occurs. Now there's about 50 genes that actually have an impact on your overall risk factor. This is the one that's been most popularized. Mm. And so 3-3 means you have a one in nine chance of developing Alzheimer's disease um, over the age of 65. 
those are the current statistics, which is, which is kind of scary. That's 15% yeah. of our population. Now, those numbers are expected to triple by the year 2050. So we're going to be looking at about one in three. Um, and that's if you have APOE 3.3. Now, if you have an APOE 4, so a 3.4 or a you know, 2.4 is a little bit more confusing because the 2 can actually be protective. The 4 is the, the genetic component that actually um, gives you a higher risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. So if you have one genetic variant or two genetic variants, your risk goes up. Now, there are many different publications. So that risk factor can be anywhere between 10% and 60% increased risk. Now, that's because they're working with different populations when they're doing these studies. Those different populations are living different lifestyles. Mm. And again, lifestyle and your environment has such a huge impact. Mm. I would say that, that your lifestyle and your environment has a larger impact than your genetics do on developing Alzheimer's disease. Amazing. And, and the, so, so as low as 10%. So let's say someone has a 4-4 and they have an incredibly healthy lifestyle. They're, you know, keeping on track with all the things that you talk about that can lead to dementia down the line. Mm-hmm. So they're addressing those risk factors. So that means that their risk could be actually quite low, potentially. So with a 4-4, their risk is higher. Mm-hmm. Um, so the 4-4, their risk is going to be creeping up towards that, you know, 40 to 60% level. Mm-hmm. But that still means if they have a much better lifestyle, they're overall healthier, they've done the right testing, they know what their other underlying conditions that could be pointing the brain towards decline may be. Um, they have rid their environment of toxins, they eat a really good personalized uh, nutritional diet and exercise and keep their brain active, those people are going to not have that significantly um, larger risk factor mm-hmm. because doing everything else that they could possibly be doing to lower their risk factor with their lifestyle and their environment. That's awesome. And, you know, genetics are just one piece that we look at. Yeah. Um, they are... To, to paraphrase, I, I'm not sure who this, who this goes back to, so I'm not sure who to give credit for the statement, but you know, genetics um, load the gun yeah. and your behavior pulls the trigger. Yeah. And that. that is that's something really important to know. You can, it's important to know your genetics. It's more important to do something about it mm-hmm. to look at lowering your risk at that point. So, you know, we talk, we hear a lot about fat intake with yeah. APOE. So how do you navigate that? Cause fat's good for the brain. So do you avoid fat? Do you eat the fat cause it's good for the brain? <laughs> how do you navigate that? The, um, the punting answer is <laughs> that it, it depends on the individual. So we don't just look at genetics and say, Oh, here's what your genes are telling us. Here's the diet you should be eating. I feel that you're missing an incredible amount of information there. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're just doing that and that deals with fats, it deals with carbohydrates, it deals with proteins, um, it deals with your micronutrients, uh, it deals with if you should be eating meat or if you should be a vegan, uh, there, there's, you know, time, time delayed eating. There's so much to do with nutrition that we really like to take a personalized approach to that. Yeah. And genetics are one of those things that we actually take into consideration when we look at that personalized approach, but we never take a, if this, then that, um, yeah. singular approach with, if you have an APOE 4.4, don't ever eat avocados. 
it, it's just not, it's not something that we do because it's there. Yes, there are multiple risk factors with this, but we're not just talking about brain health. We're talking about how those genetics play into your heart health, how they play into your digestive system, how they play out into your mitochondria and the rest of your body, because everything's really connected. And what we can't do is make a decision based on, okay, this is going to be best for your brain, but it's going to be terrible for your heart. Right. When heart disease has actually a better chance of taking you out before brain disease does. Yeah, that's interesting. So we, we really look at a personalized approach. And, and unfortunately, I just don't believe there's enough data mm-hmm. yet to make that if this, then that yeah. type of uh, agreement. And there's going to be many people on both sides that say there is um, for us and our clients, we take a personalized approach based on their data for every single intervention or suggestion that we make. Yeah. And that's what we suggest to, to most people is, is really know yourself and know what's going on in your body to inform your physician or practitioner or partner of what those interventions should be going forward rather than basing it on a population study. For sure. Absolutely. So for people listening who want to look into doing all this, what can they do if they don't want to go to Switzerland? (laughs) If they don't want to go to Switzerland. Um, Well, we, uh, we are open. Um, Our doors are open to taking on clients right now with Mios Health. We take a different approach. Um, Our approach is very results driven all-inclusive approach, which means after your assessment is done, uh, we basically lay out, you know, based on your goals and the results you want, we lay out exactly what that plan is going to be in six months. And then we give you every single thing that you need in order to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's functional medicine, medical doctor care, that's health coaching, that's working with a nutritionist, it's all of your supplements, it's the technology to track your progress. It's all of those pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, we find that that approach allows us to you know, really show you where you are, gather that data, feed it back into the system, and then hopefully you know, deliver that, um, that, that data back to the field to help everybody grow and, and be a little bit more efficient at this and, and get better results. Totally. Um, but it's not for everybody. Not everybody needs that all-inclusive hand-holding approach, that red mm-hmm. carpet approach. They, some people may want to do it themselves. Um, if you want to do it yourself, there is an incredible amount of beautiful education out there from pioneers in the field like Dr. Dale Bredesen, uh, Mark Hyman, uh, who had the Broken Brain series, David Perlmutter, who produced the Science of Prevention. Those are incredible educational opportunities if you do want to take the do-it-yourself approach. And if you want to do it with others, then there are many functional medicine practitioners um, integrative medicine practitioners, naturopaths, uh, complementary medicine practitioners, whatever we want to call that, mm-hmm. that have been educated. Um, and some have been certified in reversing cognitive decline or improving brain function. And many of those, um, I would look for the ones who have teams mm-hmm. because this is a very team approach. Uh, we have not found a single medical doctor yet that can do everything on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a time issue. Mm-hmm. And if you are looking for that, that approach, you know, find, find a group that has a team. There's some, um, like the Pacific brain health center down in uh, Santa Monica mm-hmm. that have massive teams and take 
Medicare insurance and, you know, can go that route. And then there's others that are fully cash paid um, that can, you know, point you in the right direction, do the right testing and go from there. But uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of practitioners doing this. Um, we're fairly unique in our approach to it, but that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's, um, that the medical care is, uh, is better. It's just For that sure. we, you know, we have a little bit of a, a wraparound approach to that. But I yeah. think you, you start with understanding where your brain function is and understanding mm-hmm. that baseline. And from that point, and you know, want to call us, we, we offer those brain function tests as well. So people can touch with us. They can, you know, talk to me for 45 minutes and understand if it, if it's just a, an age related thing or a temporary thing, or, or if there's really something serious that they should do a little bit more testing with, mm-hmm. um, or they can, you know, go to other resources to, to find that out for themselves. But Wonderful. I think the, the big thing is don't be scared and don't hide away from it. It, it's not necessarily the worst case scenario. And even if it is, you want to get ahead of it as fast as you possibly can um, mm-hmm. because time is not on your side if it's the worst case scenario. If it's a good case scenario, it's even better to have a baseline to then test from years later. Absolutely. Love it. Yeah. Oh, so good, Seth. So, so yeah. good. I hope you guys Thank all you. go to Mio's Health. Check out the wonderful work that they're doing over there and... You know, we, we definitely, I've, I've mentioned to you guys before, I see patients locally in San Diego, all over the country. You know, it's a lot of, of the testing that we do at Shine. I love that there's a systematized, you know, approach where you're seeing before and after the changes, you know, based on the imaging and the um, subjective and objectives. It's just amazing. So um, I love, you know, what you guys are doing. I'd love to continue the conversation and see how we can even work together more clinically. Um, would love that and you're doing incredible work there and and all the work that you're doing uh above and below the neck is impacting people's brain health and lowering their risk of these these terrible diseases down the road so thank you for the work you're doing oh totally yeah absolutely well all right guys that's that's a wrap that's the show head over and check them out and um we'll chat more seth have a wonderful rest of your day thank you you too (laughs) thank you I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to drlowshow.com where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love and I'll talk to you soon.